Lisa Marks, and you are listening to On Wandering. I'm re-releasing the episodes I recorded last year under a different show name, and this one's with Molly Tolsky. Molly was a longtime editor of Kveller and the founding editor of the Jewish culture site Alma. Alma describes itself as feminist and full of chutzpah, and I'm a big fan. They cover a wide range of topics, and something about them makes you feel like you're just hanging out with a really cool friend. We recorded this interview in January 2020, and I loved talking to Molly about her creative journey, the story of how Alma came to be, and how her personal Jewish identity has been influenced by her work in the Jewish media world. We started off this conversation by talking about how Molly describes Alma's target audience. Let's jump in. We were like, we've been in this weird transition yes. point with Alma where when we first started, we were specifically a site for millennial Jewish women. And I don't know if you saw like a few months ago, we announced like losing kind of the gendered language around the yes. site. So we no longer say we're for women, but we also realized we're not really just for millennials either because we have a big college age readership. So like we're definitely reaching Gen Z as well. So what I've been describing it as more and more is just a Jewish culture site. That's awesome. Yeah. And kind of whoever wants to be a part of it is. And so that's, yeah. I'm really glad to hear you say that because I'm an older millennial. (laughs) (laughs) So am I. (laughs) Yeah. I've been a little worried. Like, am I going to age out of Alma? I love it so much. Honestly, I'm about to like technically age out of Alma and it's my (laughs) own website. So no, but I think that's the tricky part. It's like, there's also like a difference between who we say our target demographic is when we're trying to fundraise and things like that. And like, versus the reality of who is reading us, which I think is a much wider net. So don't feel bad. Nobody's too old for Alma or too young for Alma or yeah that's amazing everybody's welcome (laughs) and you are from outside of Chicago right you're from Buffalo Grove I am yes okay I'm from Oak Park so I've been to Buffalo Grove a few times yeah yeah very cool Do you still live near Chicago? No, I live in Seattle now. I moved here about eight years ago, I think, at this point. Um, I went to Seattle for the first time last year, and I really loved it. I could totally see myself living there. Yeah, That's awesome. What did you do when you were here? I just came with my boyfriend, and we just, it's kind of embarrassing, but we chose Seattle because we're like both really into Frasier. Oh, nice. (laughs) I've been watching a lot of Frasier, and neither of us had been to Seattle. And we're like, let's go to Seattle. But yeah, I don't know. I just really liked the vibe of the city seemed like very nice people and laid back. So how did you become interested in writing and journalism? I always wanted to be a writer. Like when I was a little kid and people asked me that question, what do you want to be when you grow up? I always said I wanted to be an author. And I think I was always writing stories. I recently found this like treasure trove of old like little books I had made when I was a little kid when I went visiting my parents recently. I actually I took like in high school, I feel like I I started to really like math and science classes and I was taking a lot of like AP chemistry and calculus BC and I was like good at those things. So I actually, when I first went into college, I thought I would be majoring in chemistry and maybe go to pharmacy school. But pretty much immediately when I got to college and I, I was enrolled in like an organic chemistry class and I, after two weeks, I was like, I do not want to do this at mm. all. And I, I dropped out of that class and I was like, I just want to, like, I just really liked reading and books and I've always loved books. And I, I just decided that was actually what I wanted to pursue. So yeah, and then I majored in fiction writing in my undergrad. 
and also got my graduate degree in fiction writing. So that was like really my bread and butter for a while was Mm. fiction specifically. So was being Jewish part of your life growing up? It was in a way that I didn't really think of it that often, but it totally was. I mean, you're also from the Chicago area and Mm -hmm. I'm sure you know where I'm from. Buffalo Grove is part of like sort of the North Shore of Chicago, which has a really big Jewish population. And so like all my friends were Jewish. I went to Hebrew school. My family belonged to a conservative synagogue. We were pretty like classic, like high holiday Jews. Like we didn't go throughout the year all the time. We definitely went at the high holidays. I had a bat mitzvah. I went to Jewish summer camp. And but yeah, to me, I feel like then it was just like, I didn't really think of it as like, I am Jewish. And this is like a unique part of me that was just like, well, everybody's Jewish. And like, everybody Mm -hmm. does these things. And that's just what you do. And then, yeah, I mean, I feel like after my bat mitzvah, I didn't keep going on to like Hebrew high school or anything. I kind of didn't really do anything Jewish for a while. I wasn't involved in any Jewish organizations in college. And yeah, I really didn't start like super actively thinking about my Jewish identity until I wound up getting an internship that eventually led to my current job. But it it was actually very, like, I would say very random and like not purposeful to wind (laughs) up in this Jewish world that I'm in now. Yeah. Something that I want to start asking all of my guests and, and also related to what you said about just thinking, well, everybody's Jewish. If you grow up a community with a decent amount of Jews is when did you realize you were a minority? Yeah. I love that question. And I think about that a lot. And it definitely was not until I went off to college. I went to University of Michigan for two years and then I transferred. But yeah, my freshman year roommate was like the an actual homecoming queen from this like small town in Michigan who like had very little interaction or knowledge of Jewish people. And like she was great. Like I really liked her. But I feel like that was my first time being around people that just like didn't know Jews. And I realized like, oh, yeah, like we really are a minority. I haven't really thought about that before. Mm -hmm. Um, So it was kind of culture shock for both of you to meet each other. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And then I had another my sophomore year roommate who I also really loved and got along with great. And she was also from like, I think a smallish town in Michigan. And she was like, obsessed with the nanny. Oh my gosh. Watching the nanny. And so she would like drop these Yiddish words and phrases all the time. Oh no. But like also probably hadn't spent that much time around Jews. But it was like really funny for us to like bond over that show, which I also love and still love. But yeah, I definitely wasn't ever used to being around so many non Jews or definitely had never been like the only Jew in the room before until I got to college. Mm hmm. So you started working as an intern at Kfeller, the Jewish parenting website, and ended up staying there for a while and working your way up to editor. How did you feel about working for specifically Jewish media when you first started? Yeah, I mean, like I said, it felt very random at the time. Like I still remember the moment when I was in grad school at the time and one of my roommates was looking for a summer job in between our two years of grad school. And I was as well. And she was like sitting on the couch looking through job listings. And she said out loud, like, oh, man, I wish I was Jewish. And I was like, my ears like perked up. And I was like, why? And she had found this job listing for a paid editorial internship for a Jewish parenting website. 
And so she sent me that listing and I read it and I was like, oh, I could do that. Like I, it was writing and editing based and it said you have to have some familiarity with Jewish culture. And I was like, great, I got that. So I applied and I got that internship. And really like the thing I was most excited about was having a paid internship. Like I just, Mm -hmm. I was a a broke grad student and I needed money. And the Jewish part was like, cool, it's fine. Like I, I figured it would, I honestly thought like, when I hear the phrase Jewish parenting site for the first time, I was like, that's, I don't know how cool this is going to be. I don't know mm-hmm. how like, so, like interesting, but like, whatever, it's a summer internship and I'll, I'll get some good experience. And then, yeah, like pretty immediately, I just realized I actually really did like this work and I really kind of hit it off with my boss at the time, who's still my boss now. We're about to hit our 10 year anniversary of working together. Congrats. Wild. Yeah. Thanks. But yeah, I liked it for the reasons that I thought I would, which is like, I got to do writing and editing and work with other writers and things like that, which was really cool. But I also liked it for like, for the Jewish things that it brought up in me. And the Mm. more I kind of worked there and was working with other people's stories about their own Jewish identity, and especially for young parents, I feel like this stuff comes up so much when you're suddenly raising a child and you're like, well, wait, how, what kind of Jewish things do I want to do with my child? How do I want to raise them as a Jewish person? So you start to think about your own identity more. And through sort of like working with so many stories like that, I also inevitably started to think about my own identity more. And yeah, I I feel like Judaism, just like by nature of my job, started to become a much bigger part of my life in a way that I never really had before, where I just like was more actively thinking about what Mm -hmm. it means to me to be Jewish and how do I want my life to look as far as like, are there Jewish things I should, do I want to be doing more Jewish things or do I want to be or not? And, And yeah, so I feel like it was like an actual, I was really surprised by how like this seemingly random summer internship turned out to be something that really like made me rethink my own life and identity. What was the biggest thing that you learned from your time working at Queller? That's a good question. Or maybe one thing that that stayed with you. I mean, I think one of the big takeaways I got from that job and what kind of propelled me to eventually start Alma was that I learned that you really can form like a meaningful, engaged community online. And that like, the internet, while there are pockets of it that are terrible and people fight with each other all the time and there are trolls and there are these bad things that happen, but there's also really good, amazing things that happen. And I feel like I got to witness firsthand how Feller was bringing together this community of mostly young Jewish parents and how like they really were able to learn from each other and grow from each other and lean on each other. And I saw like actual friendships forming that started online and then went offline. Like I myself made a lot of friends through the writers who were contributing to the site. And I, yeah, I think I had never really before been a part of an online community like that. And so I didn't really get that it could be, that it could feel just as meaningful and impactful as an in-person community. So after working at Queller for a number of years, you decided to start Alma under the same company, 70 Faces Media. How did the idea for Alma come about? I was in a mid-year review with my boss, who I mentioned before, whose name is Deborah Colbin, who's the editorial director of 70 Faces. And I started to cry, (laughs) which was not the first time I've cried to Debbie. I've cried to her many times, but I, I was just in this place. I think I was 
was I 29 at that point? 28 or 29, I want to say. I had been editing Feller for a few years. I had been in a relationship for a few years with somebody I met at grad school. And I kind of felt stuck in both of those places. Like I knew I wasn't really happy in my relationship. And while I really loved the work that I was doing at Feller, I also felt like I was reaching my limit. Just like Mm -hmm. one thing that is a huge um, important factor is that I myself am not a parent. And so Mm -hmm. I was editing this parenting website and I was seeing how people were like connecting over these things. And while I could witness it and that was amazing, I wasn't actually a part of it because I couldn't relate. I'm not, I wasn't a parent. I'm still not. And I kind of felt like I, I don't know how many more articles about breastfeeding I could read. I don't know how much longer I can do this, but I know I like this kind of work and I know I like working where I do. And so Debbie and I for years kind of just like very casually had discussed the idea of like, what would a site for younger Jews like? And at that moment when I sort of like broke down in tears in her office, she was like, maybe now is the time to really think about that new site and like, just go for it. And so I kind of took that call to action and I immediately started just doing research, making, seeing if there was anything else out there already like that, what I was imagining, which there really wasn't. Started doing some research into the demographic, into how this age cohort uses the internet, where they are, what they like to read, things like that. And I was lucky enough that 70 Faces Media, like the management team as a whole, was really into the idea of starting a new site for younger Jews. And so... They were super supportive. And then we were able, the kind of the first step after doing some research was we're a nonprofit. So everything we do, we have to fundraise for. Mm. And so the first step was applying for grants that could help us get started. And we got a planning grant from UJA Federation of New York, who had been funding Feller and other 70 Faces media projects. And so we got that grant where I spent about six months doing even more research and planning and thinking through what Alma would eventually be. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I read that there were some focus groups involved in the process. (laughs) There were. I have to admit, one of them was a focus group among my childhood best friends from Chicago. I love that. That's (laughs) amazing. (laughs) I guess maybe in like the, is not the most like scientifically sound focus group, but they were the people who I wanted to be reading Alma and I was home visiting one week. And so I got them all together in one of our houses and just, yeah, I just kind of asked them what kinds of topics they'd want to read about what kinds of formats are they into what do they like to read on the internet already things like that and then I did another focus group with people I don't know in Brooklyn and we also at that point started working with a branding and design agency Mm -hmm. named Smack and they helped us really formulate the aesthetic image for Alma and which is super important and helped us kind of like really nail down like the voice of the brand and the what we kind of wanted people to get from us right away when they first visit the site. That's something I noticed about Alma right away is the branding felt very different from some of the more traditional Jewish organizations. It felt very young and fresh and like, this is an exciting open community. feels more like Jezebel or like Bust Magazine than like, yeah. yeah. (laughs) That's exactly what, like, instead of looking at like what other Jewish organizations, Jewish websites were doing, we looked at what other mostly women's websites were doing. So exactly. We're looking at 
Jezebel and Bustle and The Cut yes. and Bust and Bitch and all of these places and seeing, because yeah, we definitely wanted that kind of vibe more than like the blue Jewish stars on every, right. <laughs> on every page kind of vibe. Yes. <laughs> we figured like our words and our ethos will be Jewish, but we don't need any Jewish stars on this website. Mm-hmm. Yes. So we talked a little bit about when you started in 2017, the tagline was for ladies with chutzpah. And you've started to change that and talk about it as a Jewish culture site that is still feminist and full of chutzpah. Can you talk more about the decision process? Or it sounds like it's ongoing, but what's going into that evolution of the tagline for the site? Yeah. So again, like when I was starting Alma, I was largely working off of the model of Feller um, because I had seen how successful that was. And then like one interesting thing that happened with Feller was when it launched, we really tried to branded as a site for parents. And that meant both moms and dads. Um, And we really like put in a lot of effort to try to get dads to be reading the site Mm. as well. But over and over again, we saw that the readership was 85% women. We even like we did a dude week on Feller where only (laughs) men wrote for the site. And like that was super fun, but it was still women reading it. And so eventually with Feller, we decided let's embrace this. And there's actually something really beautiful about having a space just for women, just for moms to talk about these things. And of course, if men still want to read, they can, but we can really kind of lean into the fact that this has become a space for women. And so when I was starting Alma, I was like, let's, we learned that lesson from Feller. Let's just lean into it from the get-go and let's be a place for women. And I think there's this thinking that like spaces for women can feel a little bit more safe and a little bit more respectful and where it doesn't have to, where you feel comfortable talking about super vulnerable things like having an abortion or being in a difficult relationship or these things like that, where we felt like if it's a space for women, it will feel a little bit more safe. So that was the thinking for launching Alma. And that's why we, yeah, we started off with the tagline for ladies with chutzpah, which I still love. I think is a great tagline. And I still have a, a proudly carry a tote bag that says lady with chutzpah on it. One thing we've noticed since actually launching Alma is that For this generation, especially for people in their 20s and 30s and even younger than that, people in college, you know, obviously we've seen that for more and more people, gender is not a binary, that there are a lot of non-binary people and genderqueer people who were reading Alma or who wanted to feel a part of Alma, but weren't sure if they belonged because of the specifically gendered language on our site. So they're from trans men to non-binary people to even sometimes trans women who would reach out to us and say, I just want to be sure that I'm welcome here. And of course, we would always say, yes, like, of course, like you are totally welcome here. We're happy to have you here. But over time, we realized like, if the first thing people are seeing when they come to Alma is that it's a place for ladies with chutzpah, that will immediately make many people feel like they don't belong. And that is so the opposite of what we want Alma to be for young Jews. And so that was a really big thing for us. And then we also realized we also have men reading the site. And a lot of what we talk about on Alma is not specific just to women. It's pop culture, it's politics, it's news, it's Jewish identity. It's things that people of any gender think about and care about. And so we basically decided that we don't have to change anything about what Alma is doing. We can still be super feminist. We can still highlight women doing cool things. We can highlight marginalized voices. We can do all of these things, but we don't have to make anybody feel like they don't belong here. 
And so, yeah, I believe it was last November, we decided to officially pull the plug on Ladies with Chutzpah. We announced on our social media that we were losing the gendered language and that we hope that this communicates to everybody that like, if you want to be a part of the Alma community, you absolutely can be. And we got a really amazing reaction that made me so happy that the Instagram post with our announcement is one of our most liked Instagram posts ever. And we got a lot of comments from people like, thank you so much. Like I've been following you guys, but I really wasn't sure if I belonged. And now I know I do. Um, we got a lot of like personal yeah, comments from people about how much this move in language meant to them. So that's sort of one half of how we've evolved. And then another part of how we've evolved is having to do with age, which is like also when we first launched Alma, we really considered ourselves a site for millennial Jews. Um, and that was sort of like the hot demographic that everybody was trying to reach. But again, we've found that people of all ages have been reading Alma and that includes people much younger. We have a lot of college students who read Alma. I've had a lot of emails from high school students who read Alma and oh, who nice. want to write for Alma and who I really want to write for Alma because that's so cool. Like I definitely wasn't thinking about any of this stuff in high school. So I'm like really amazed that these very cool teens are. And then we also have older people. And I'm also on the older end of the millennial spectrum. And I was actually having a conversation with my boss recently about like, oh my God, like, am I going to age out of my own website? Which is silly. Obviously, the moment you turn 35 or 40 doesn't mean anything as far as like what you're interested in and what you care about and want to read about. And so, yeah, we've kind of started referring to ourselves as just a Jewish culture site because that's really what we've become. And that's what our readers have come to um, see us as. I love that. Yeah, one of the things that I admire about Alma is you have a really good mix of pop culture and current events, political breakdowns, but then you do feature a lot of personal stories submitted by readers. And there have been some amazing stories about mental health or intersectional identities or struggle with hair and body image. These stories come from demographics we don't get to see a lot in traditional Jewish spaces or publication, especially stories from young women or non-binary folks who don't have degrees in Jewish studies or rabbinical training or even a journalism degree. Was that something you wanted to intentionally cultivate with Alma? For sure. Yeah. I mean, I think one thing that's always been really important to me and the rest of the team here is using our platform to uplift marginalized voices in the Jewish community. And we think of that as many things, as queer Jews, as Jews of color, poor Jews, even Jews who don't live in major cities, who live in Wyoming or Guam or wherever. And I think what's a really beautiful thing about an online community is that you can actually reach these people that aren't necessarily going to be a part of the more organized Jewish community that happens in real life. I actually don't even like that phrase in real life because mm. I, mm -hmm. I think online is real. But I think for people who especially don't feel comfortable going to a Jewish event, either because of their race or their sexual orientation or just whoever they are, or for people who literally can't go to a Jewish event because there aren't any in the town where they live, I think that an online space like Alma is so important because it allows them to feel a part of the larger Jewish community. So yeah, I'm 
really grateful to all of our freelance contributors who like I also just learn so much from. And I feel like my upbringing, I was around Jews who were all very similar to me as far as background and class and race. And I definitely wasn't aware of how diverse the Jewish community was around the world. And so this work has also been really eye-opening to me on a personal level. And I think really important for the larger Jewish community also to see this is who we are. This is how different we are. This is what we have in common. This is what we don't have in common and kind of seeing the full spectrum there. Yeah. I wanted to actually bring up an article that you wrote this past September about a joke that Paul Rudd made (laughs) in Between Two Ferns, the Netflix show. And it was a really small joke, but it sounds like it spoke to you in a way that maybe encapsulated the way you see Jewish identity today in some way. Can you talk yeah. a little bit about that article and what it meant for you? So yeah, I I watched Between Two Ferns, the movie, which is as ridiculous as you would expect from <laughs> Zach Galifianakis. And there is this one part where he's interviewing Paul Rudd on, it's the movie's version of his fake show Between Two Ferns. And I think first Zach brings up the fact that he's like trying to hide the fact that he's Jewish and Paul Rudd like shrugs that off. And then Zach asks him, are you a practicing Jew? And Paul Rudd says, I don't practice it. I perfected it. (laughs) And yeah, it's a totally small, like throwaway joke. I don't think it was meant to be this like big grand statement about anything. When I first heard it, I was just like, oh my God, like that's amazing. That's so funny. I've never heard that before, but that's like such a great joke. And then the more I thought about it, I was like, actually, that's like super meaningful to me because when somebody asks me, am I a practicing Jew? My initial gut response is no. And that's because I don't keep kosher and I don't observe Shabbat. I don't go to synagogue on any regular basis. I will sometimes go on Yom Kippur. I will sometimes not. I will sometimes fast on Yom Kippur. I will sometimes not. By no means am I like a traditionally observant Jew. So when somebody would ask me that, I would say no. But I feel like that actually really belittles my Jewish identity and my relationship to Judaism. Because for me, being Jewish isn't about doing those rituals, but it is about so much of the culture and the traditions. And it's about getting to go home for Passover and being at the Seder table with my family and my nieces and my nephews and my grandmothers. And it's about the food. (laughs) It's Mm -hmm. about the jokes. And it's about just kind of how I see the world. It's so much of like my lens through which I view the world and everything around me. And so I feel like what I loved about that joke was the idea. I think any Jew has perfected Judaism because it's just, it's however you want to express it or practice it in my mind is totally valid. And there's not one way to, you know, there's not a way to be a better Jew. I don't like the phrase like, oh, I'm a bad Jew because I eat bacon. Like, I just don't think that's what makes somebody a bad person. And so, yeah, I, you know, I definitely, I wrote in the article, like, I think I'm probably way overthinking this. And I do not think Paul Rudd was thinking about the vast (laughs) variety of Jewish practice in the diaspora. But like, that's what I got out of it when I put my overanalyzing writer cap on. Yeah, that was a fun one. So what has been the most, one of the most interesting things you've learned from working with Alma? First of all, just like the vast diversity of the Jewish community that I just really wasn't aware of before. Like I really have loved any of our articles that are, we have like a series, like what it's like being Jewish in Ukraine, what it's like being Jewish in Utah, like all these like places that you don't think 
have a lot of Jews. I've really enjoyed learning through those kind of articles and also especially learning from Jews of color about their experience has been incredibly eye-opening and also infuriating at Mm -hmm. times because of the way the Jewish community does not always embrace Jews of color. But, But yeah, I think it's been a really big takeaway for me just seeing also like just I don't know. I feel like this is going to sound really dumb, but like Jews are so cool. Like we have so many like cool people doing really interesting things. And we have so many artists and fashion designers and writers and musicians. And I don't know, I've just really loved learning about all of these really super cool Jewish people doing cool things that I wouldn't have learned about otherwise. Yeah, I was going to ask because Another thing that I love about Alma is the coverage of the, I don't want to say pop culture, but like arts and media culture Mm -hmm. that's coming from the Jewish world right now, from like Broad City to Tiffany Haddish's Bat Mitzvah. Do you have a favorite Jewish cultural piece of work that you've been following maybe in this past decade that's really stood out to you? Hmm. That's a great question. It's funny because like, I'm so not like a celebrity person, but I, that has become such a big part of Alma and like it's made, it's turned me more into like a pop culture-y kind of person. But I don't know. I mean, I was a huge fan of Broad City. I really like truly saw myself mm-hmm. <laughs> reflected through that series. Like I feel like I've never, yeah, I don't know if there's any other show that I've related to so much as Broad City. So that was like a really big one for me. I was also a really big fan of Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. Yeah. So it was like a rough time. They both ended the same around the same time. And it was a, it was a tough time. <laughs> but now we're going to yeah. get the musical, the nanny. Oh, gosh. Yes. Rachel, the nanny Bloom, reboot. Rachel Bloom. Yeah. Is doing yes. the nanny reboot. I'm very excited yes. for that. I'm also very excited. For that. <laughs> yeah, I think those are probably my two biggest, at least like TV wise. And then, I don't know, I think one of my editorial assistants a couple years ago, maybe a year or so ago, wrote an article about a musician named King Princess, who Hmm. I had never heard about before. And I think the headline was like, King Princess is the queer Jewish pop artist we need right now, that kind of thing. And she is so cool. Oh my God. I like, I, through that article, I started listening to her music and I just really love it. And yeah, that's, again, it's like, it's great when I'm just at work doing my job and I like discover my new favorite artists or discover a new TV show that I really want to watch because I have these other writers around me telling me about them. Nice. So what are you interested in right now? Is there anything you're curious about either for Alma or any of your other work that you want to look into more? There's definitely things for Alma that I want to try to experiment with. I think it'd be super cool at some point to have an Alma podcast. And we've definitely started talking in the office about what that might be. I I can't say with any certainty if that's going to happen anytime soon, but I think exploring different mediums like that is really exciting to me. You know, I feel like we've really kind of like hit our bread and butter with like what we're doing on the website and what we're doing on social media. So it'd be fun to explore a different area. And yeah, I mean, personally, my outside of work life is largely taken up by, I won't say writing, I will say thinking about writing, but mostly not writing. I've been working on a novel and that's been really 
challenging and difficult and I haven't been writing as much as I should be. And so, yeah, most of my time is spent feeling guilty about not writing, I would say. So that's super fun. Oh, <laughs> thinking about it is still doing yeah, it. Your brain's I, processing. I agree. It's, it's working through some things. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> is there anything that I haven't asked about yet that you'd like to share? And I would love to put a plug in for our Alma Pals Facebook group, mm. which I don't spend a lot of time on Facebook anymore, I must admit. And I know the youth are not so much on Facebook, except I feel like Facebook groups are thriving and they're a great place to actually connect with other people. And we have a Facebook group called Alma Pals. That's just for people who like Alma. And I would love to see it grow and have more interactions and engagements. So I definitely encourage anybody listening who's enjoyed what you've heard to join that group. Great. Well, where can people learn more about you and your work? So I have a website, which is just my name, mollytolsky.com. And I'm also on social media at Instagram and Twitter, mollytolsky. So I am I'm fairly easy to find on the internet. And of course, Alma is heyalma.com. And yeah, that's where you can find me. Can I just ask, how did you decide to put the hey in front of Alma in the URL? So when I first came up with the name Alma, my first step obviously was to look at what Alma.com was. Mm. And it was a basically nothing. It was like one single page and it had some dudes just like work information on it. And I think he like had started a company called Alma Technologies Mm. and it literally just had his name and Alma Technologies and his phone number and email address. And that was it. And I emailed him and I I see, I tried to see if I could buy Alma.com off of him. And he very quickly responded like, no, it is not for sale. (laughs) And yeah, Alma magazine was taken, I think also by like a Spanish language Mm. magazine Mm because Alma means soul in Spanish. And so, yeah, I was just sort of thinking what the other options are. And I don't honestly remember who came up with the idea of like a hey Alma or a hi Alma, that kind of thing. But we also like, you know, once we kind of thought of it, it was nice. It's like, feels like a friend is saying hello to you. And that's kind of the, the vibe we wanted was very friendly, very casual. So we went with hey and, and that's, that's how that came to be. And it's worked out. still, It has. It has worked out. I'm still kind of mad at that dude for just like, (laughs) you're not doing anything with this website. Like, why do you need it? I'm offering money right now, but it's cool. (laughs) You can have it. Oh, it's been really lovely talking to you. Thanks so much for being on the podcast. Thanks for having me. It's been fun. This episode was produced by me, Clarissa Marks, with music by the Rondo Brothers. If you like the show, you could support us by sharing it with a friend or by adding a review to your favorite podcast app. That'll make sure that other listeners can find us. You can connect with me on Twitter or Instagram at Clarissa R. Marks. And to hear more episodes, read transcripts, or learn more about the people or media we mentioned, visit our website, onwandering.co. Take care and see you next time.